Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I'm glad that you all decided to come this morning, and uh, we're going to make do with who is here and what we've got. Uh, And we have a lot to work through this morning as we continue thinking about the church. As you see on the screen, the series that we're going through is, is Rethinking the Church. So for the first three weeks, we've just been defining the church. Who is the church? What is the church? We looked at biblical images, historic marks, theological attributes that make the church the church. And I wanted to do that for three weeks so that we had a really good foundation for us as we kind of dive into uh, the nuts and bolts of the church. So we want to ask questions now through the rest of the semester of things like, how should a church be structured? Uh, Who leads the church? What does leadership look like in a church? How should we understand baptism or the Lord's Supper? What are these, these big kind of questions about the church? And today our question is, who makes up the church? Who makes up the church? So we're going to talk about the people of God this morning. And we've already talked about the people of God a little bit as a biblical image, but today we're going to think about what it means to be a member of a local church. So we're going to look at a lot of biblical texts and see from our own practice here at Lakeview how someone becomes a visible member. So the big idea this morning for you and me is that baptized believers who are known to one another form a membership that enjoys privileges and responsibilities. So baptized believers who are known to one another, you know me, I know you, we form a membership that enjoy both privileges and responsibilities. So we're going to walk through that phrase together this morning with the first point. Uh, And the first point is this, the people of God are known to one another. The people of God are known to one another. So why is it that we have a membership role? You may not know that we have that, but we have that, right? You see that as the church directory. Uh, You can pick one of those up at any time. There's a bunch of pictures of families and information of different people who would say that they are members of Lakeview Baptist Church. Why do we have a role? Why do we really need an accurate list of who's in and who's out? Like, isn't that kind of harsh? Is that unwelcoming to those who want to visit and be a part of the church? That we would say either you're in or you're out. Many churches have a loose understanding of church membership. They don't have an accurate role. They don't have an accurate list of who is a member and who is not. So let's just think really quickly about three words. Uh, Behave, belong, and believe. Behave, belong, believe. If you're a church, you're going to figure out a way to order and prioritize those three words behave, belong, believe. And how you organize those words in priority is going to make your church look and function differently than other churches. So so I would say that the, the biblical pattern is that the first thing, the first priority of those three words is to believe. That you need to know the gospel. You need to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for sinners, who died on the cross and was buried and rose on the third day, that He offers eternal life to those who would repent and believe. You need to believe. The next thing is that you ought to belong. Once you believe the gospel, you now belong to the family of God. And having believed the gospel and having, been, uh, having belonged to a family of God, a local church, then you learn how to behave. You learn how to follow the precepts that we find in God's word. So we order those things at Lakeview as believe, belong, behave. You might think of other churches that may put belong before believe. 
that they want you to feel a sense of community. They want you to feel uh, welcome. They want you to feel at home before you trust Jesus. And while I think that's really well intended, I'm not so sure that that's the image of the church that we see in Scripture. Over and over, we see the first thing is that the gospel is proclaimed. So the gospel forms us as new people who find a new family in the body of Christ who then grow in obedience to God's word. So churches have members. They believe and they belong. Look at 1 Corinthians. You know, actually, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. This is 1 Corinthians, or yeah, 1 Corinthians 1 2. Paul is writing to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So Paul is writing to a specific audience, a specific people. He's not just writing to the church universal. He's writing to these specific people that say, we are the church in Corinth. We've, we have been called as saints together. So why do we need a membership? Why do we say that we need a role? Why do we have to know one another as a family of God? Well, think about those biblical images we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Things like the body of Christ or God's building, the temple of the Holy Spirit or the family of God. You need members to make up a body. You need stones to build a building. And you need members of a family to make a family. Those images don't make sense without a known number. They don't make sense without an accurate depiction of who these people are. They're all pieces that come together to make a whole. What are some other reasons why we need membership? Well, church discipline only works if members know one another and act together. So you think about... Uh, Matthew 18, where Jesus says to the disciples, after you've gone to someone who sinned against you and they don't listen to you, and you've brought one or two others along with you and they don't listen to them, go and tell it to the church. Go and tell it to a specific group of people. And if they don't listen to even the church, then let them be to you as a tax collector and as a Gentile. Or uh, chapter, uh, verses like 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 5, there's a, an issue of church discipline where someone is put out of the church. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we read um, that Paul tells the church, whatever the majority of you decides is good. The majority of who? Well, the majority of the church that's in Corinth, the majority of these particular people. Service in the church, not just church discipline, but service in the church also emphasizes the needs of members first and then others. So we just read through this in Galatians We talked through it a couple of weeks ago, but in Galatians chapter 6, in verse 10, Paul says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Well, how do we know whether or not they're in the household of faith? They're members of this church. They're members of this body. That's what Galatians 10 tells, or Galatians 6.10 tells us. Also in 1 Timothy 5, we find that Paul has, or Timothy rather has, for the church in Ephesus, a list of widows, a list of women who are in need among those people at that church in Ephesus. Finally, I would just point you to Acts chapter 2. So let's all turn there together. This will kind of be the the lodestar of this point this morning. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. As we think about how the church needs to be, the people of God are, 
known to one another. I know you and you know me. We are committed together as a particular people. It's not just this random grouping of random people that don't really know each other that well, but it's a committed group one to another. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We'll read through the end of the chapter. Acts 2.42, and they, this is after uh, Peter preached a sermon at Pentecost, the gospel was proclaimed and many thousands were saved. Verse 42, and they, that is the, the ones who received the word and were baptized, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray before we go any further. God in heaven, as we read this text and as we think about Who is the people of God? Who makes up this group? I pray that you would help us to see what your word has for us. As we read this text in Acts chapter 2 of of this group of brothers and sisters who know one another intimately and deeply, who, who live their lives alongside one another, who devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. They serve one another and give to one another and encourage one another. They grow together. God, I pray that that would be true of us. So as we think about church membership and how we come to be a part of the visible local church, would you transform our hearts and minds to be in line with your word, with your your doctrine, God, that you give us here in Scripture. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to understand these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we see in that text, in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, this was a group of people. It was a large group, but a group of people who were known to one another. You were saved and baptized. You listened to Peter's sermon and were baptized that day. You come now into my house and break bread with me. You now serve alongside me as we go to the temple and learn the apostles' teachings. This is not just a a random group of people who don't know one another. This isn't a group of strangers. No, they were giving to one another as any had need. They were together and had all things in common. So hopefully we see that church membership requires knowing and being known. Church membership is not something that you do incognito. It's not something that you do and no one else knows who you are. That's not legitimate church membership. It's not something that just happens. There's a commitment that's involved to say, I want to be a part of this people, this particular group. Now, the way we practically do this at Lakeview is it's two major ways. It's it's through groups, to the fact that you go to table groups on Sunday or equipping groups on Wednesday nights. We do it through groups. That's how you get to know one another and you're known by other people. But it's also by the church covenant. When you join the church, you sign a covenant that says you'll guard the unity of the church. So we make our commitment to these people, this specific people, through that covenant. So we live our lives in the context of the peers around us. So you go to school with people who are in this room or should be in this room at this time. 
We get discipled and disciple others. We serve alongside other people and learn who they are. We worship with them. We sit under preaching with them and more. So the question is, even as you sit here and think as a a teenager, as a student, the question is, are you known? Do people know who you are? Have Have you made yourself available to the church? Have you made yourself available to be known? Or are you content to kind of come in, sit down, listen to some things, be present, but not really be present, if you know what I mean, and then, and then leave? If, are you content with that? My hope that you would see in Scripture is that you shouldn't be content with that, that you should want to invest your life into the, the family of God that he's put you in here at Lakeview. Have you made that commitment to be a part of this family of faith? If you're in Christ, Your calling is to invest your life into a local community of believers because you are now a member of Christ's body. You're a member of the body. You have a responsibility to one another as the body. So are you known? And then secondly, do you know others? Are there people in the youth ministry or even in your grade or at your table or in your equipping group that you just don't know? You have an opportunity and a responsibility to know those people and to be known by those people. I hope you see that it's a great opportunity that we have to come alongside one another and become a family, but we won't do that unless we know one another. Hopefully we see in that first point, that's the people of God. They are known to one another. We know one another and we are known. So that's the first thing. Who are the people of God? The people of God are known to one another. Next, number two, if you're taking notes, the people of God are baptized Believers. The people of God are baptized believers. Now, I use the phrase baptized believers very intentionally. Before we dive into that specific phrase, let me just be really clear on the front end. The only thing that is required for you to be united to Christ, to be saved from your sin, is faith. We spent all summer going through the book of Galatians, and we know it is by faith alone that you and I are saved. It's by faith alone that we are united to Christ. It's by faith alone that we receive his righteousness. It's by faith alone that we stand justified before God. And we confess that faith in Christ. We trust the gospel, right? Galatians, we, we learn that the church is made up of those uh, sons and daughters who are actually now by faith the children of Abraham. Right? We get to receive that promise of being blessed and, and having God as our Father by enjoying His grace and His mercy and His blessing in our lives. It's not through physical birth, it's through spiritual birth, it's through faith. Union with Christ, our union with Jesus is the foundation for our union into His body. One cannot exist without the other. So the, the, the baseline of all that I'm saying is that you don't need anything other than faith in Jesus to be in Christ. So I'm thinking big level here. However, I say in the point that the people of God are baptized believers. So why baptism? Why do I say that the people of God are not just believers, but baptized believers? The reason is because baptism is the gateway into visible church membership. So how do you become a part of the body of Christ universally? That Catholic church that we've talked about, faith in Christ. 
this invisible reality that you are in Christ. He is with you. How do you become a part of the visible body body of Christ? How do you become a part of this local, seen, known family of God called Lakeview or whatever church? Baptism. The means by which you join that family is baptism. It is the visible sign of an invisible covenant. So it's, you've probably heard this before, it's like, it's like a wedding ring, right? Baptism is a lot like a wedding ring. It is a, it is a visible symbol of an invisible covenant, of an invisible reality. So this, this, this ring does not make me married, but for me to be married and not want to wear this ring doesn't make sense because I want to visibly depict to the world whose I am. So the ring does not make me married, but it is a profession to the world that I am married. And in the same way, baptism does not save us, but it is a visible profession to the world that I am saved, that I have died with Christ and I've risen in new life with Him. After Pentecost, in the birth of the church we just read about in Acts chapter 2, the New Testament does not have a category for an unbaptized believer. They don't exist in the New Testament after Pentecost. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, visibly, it means to be baptized. It means to publicly profess my faith by going into the water. It's not something that I'm just making up because we're Lakeview Baptist Church. So I'm going to show you just a couple of places. You you should be in Acts chapter 2. Go just a couple of verses before what we just read. Look at verse 37. We're going to look at four examples of this. uh, Because I think you probably already are thinking of friends that you may have that think differently about baptism than we do. We'll get to that just in a minute. So Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, that is Peter's gospel proclamation, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Look at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So Peter is saying, What must you do? Repent. Place your faith in Christ and then show the world that your profession is legit by being baptized. Because what you're saying in that day, we may not understand this, but what you're saying in that day, in Peter's day, is that my faith in Christ, I'm saying that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of my life. He's Lord over everything else. They live in a context where you don't say Jesus is Lord, you say Caesar is Lord. Caesar is the king over all that I know. Caesar is the one with all of the power. So it's one thing to say, well, I have faith in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. But baptism is this public profession that I'm saying, Jesus is my Lord. My profession of faith is legitimate. And I'm willing to publicly profess that through this action called baptism. But look at verse 41 again. Those who received his word were baptized. Who were baptized? The ones who received his word. The ones who agreed with the teaching. The ones who believed. 
and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Flip it just a couple of pages ahead to Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Acts chapter 8, verse 35. While you're finding it, this is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So Ethiopian eunuch is in a chariot. He's reading the book of Isaiah. He's reading a scroll about someone who will uh, save someone from their sins, who will pay a penalty. And Philip starts to help this Ethiopian eunuch understand what's happening. Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So in this text, we see in Acts chapter 8, Philip explains the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. And the eunuch's response is to publicly profess that he believes by being baptized. He says, look, I, I believe what you're saying. I, I believe this scroll in Isaiah is talking about Jesus. And I want to give my life to that. I want to publicly profess that. And so how do I do that? Well, the way you publicly profess that Ethiopian eunuch is you get baptized. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, there's, there's water right there. Why can't I do that now? I want, to, I want to do that right now. So in Acts chapter 8, we see this Ethiopian eunuch Baptism was his public profession. Flip probably just one more page. Third example, Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 44. Peter goes to uh, Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a Gentile, someone who was aware of the God of Israel, seemed to fear the God of Israel. But now Peter is in his house, sharing with him and his family and his cohort the gospel. Peter is telling Cornelius how to be saved, how to place their faith in Christ Jesus. So look at verse 44. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on even the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Peter proclaims the gospel, and those who heard the word received the Spirit. Now that word here is not just... I am in orbit of your voice. It is a, I hear and understand. I understand what you are saying. I agree with what you are saying. Those who heard the word, just like in Acts chapter 2, they received the Spirit and they were immediately baptized. So they heard the gospel, they believed, and immediately received the Spirit, and then followed up that reception of the Spirit and that belief in the gospel with baptism. Last example, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 30. 1630. As you're finding this, this is what's happening. So uh, Paul is in prison. Paul and Silas are both in prison, and the, the Philippian jailer is responsible for them. Well, there is an earthquake, and the prison... The, the shackles were broken. The doors were broken down. The prisoners could have escaped. 
The Philippian jailer understands that he is responsible for these prisoners on his own life. So if a prisoner escapes life for life, he is to be condemned to die. So when this earthquake happens, the doors were opened, everybody's bonds were unfastened, and the Philippian jailer cries out and, and wonders what, what he's going to do because he, he just assumes that all of these prisoners have escaped. Actually, look at verse 28, or 27, rather. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. This is what the Philippian jailer knew. I'm, I'm a dead man because I have failed my duty. Verse 29, Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and, and with trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. This is where we pick up our story. Verse 30, then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because all that night, Paul and Silas had been singing hymns and declaring the glory of God and been saying these things that they believe, these things that they hold true. Surely the Philippian jailer had heard some of these things. He picked up on some of these things. And the fact that they have stayed as prisoners causes this jailer to, to be struck with awe. So he goes before Paul and Silas and says, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So what's going on? Philippian jailer and his family hears the word of the Lord and they are baptized. And now this whole family rejoices that they have believed in God. So hopefully we see, this are these four examples that what is the immediate response of someone who confesses faith in Christ? They are baptized. That's, that's how it works. To be an unbaptized believer is to be out of step with the New Testament. And so we would say to be a part of the visible people of God, the requirement is baptism. Now, we have friends, friends who love Jesus, who do not view the same thing as we do when we think about baptism. They believe in what's called infant baptism. So there are some we know, you can probably think of some churches or some friends who baptize their infants. We do not baptize our infants. We baptize believers. So we believe in what's called believer baptism or credo baptism. They believe in infant baptism or pedo baptism. Why do we have this two different view, these two different views? Why is there a different view of the sign of the covenant? Well, we'll think more about baptism in a couple of weeks. We'll spend a whole Sunday talking about baptism. But for now, let's just notice, if you go back and read all of those texts, anyone that was baptized in Acts heard the word of the Lord. They heard the gospel. And the clear understanding of those texts is they received the gospel because their reception of the gospel was seen in their baptism. So we believe that just like circumcision is the sign of the old covenant that came after physical birth, baptism is the sign of the new covenant that comes after spiritual birth. You see the difference here? 
So there's a, a, a similarity in the trajectory of these things. You're physically born. You're a part of the old covenant now through Abraham because you're a part of the people of Israel. And now you signify that through circumcision. You are born again into the family of God. You are now a recipient of the new covenant and you signify that through baptism. This is how we see baptism take the place of circumcision. This is now the sign of the new covenant. So the people of God are baptized believers. All right, number three. Second point was the biggest point of this morning. Three, the people of God are both privileged and responsible. So the church, the people of God, were known to one another. We are made up of baptized believers, and now you and I get to enjoy both privileges and responsibilities. So let me just list some of these things to you. What does it mean practically, week in and week out, to be a member of a local church? What are some privileges that are afforded to you as a committed church member? Well, first, you have congregational care. You are now a part of a new family. You have spiritual mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. You have new relationships to enjoy, people who can meet your needs, fellowship with those who love Jesus alongside of you. The people in this room, if they are in Christ like you are in Christ, you have a stronger, more lasting bond with them than any other affinity or hobby or passion the world has to offer. And we may not live that way, but that doesn't mean it's not true. The blood of Jesus is stronger than our affinity for Auburn football. The blood of Jesus is stronger than our affinity for high school athletics. The the blood of Jesus is stronger than our love for dance or band or, or whatever it is. So how do we know who the people are that we can join together with in that love and that passion and that bond? The local church. That's the privilege you have. Here's here's one example of how we can come alongside one another and meet one another's needs. We read about that in Acts chapter 2. Tom McClendon is our congregational care pastor, and every month they they give away thousands of dollars in resources and food and paying bills and, and other ways that we can meet the needs of the people here. Now, obviously, we also serve people out in the community. but There are people in this church who have needs that get met through your stewardship, through your giving. Another example, in April, when my father-in-law died, the people of God at Lakeview loved us and encouraged us. They prayed for us. They brought us meals. They, They gave of themselves in so many ways. This is how the body cares for itself in a time of need. Why was that afforded to me? Because I was a member of a body. I was a member of a church. Next you have pastoral leadership. You have pastors who are here for you. That they, give, they will give an account before God for you. And they are shepherds who are called to lead and serve and love and provide for and protect the sheep. So as a faithful member of a local church, you have pastors. You have leaders who want to love you and serve you well. I have pastors, even as a pastor on staff. I have other pastors that I can go to for guidance or for help or for encouragement. I grow from the Spirit's work in my life when I listen to Brother Al preach every Sunday. We are served by the work of our leaders. Next, you get participation in the life of the church. This is another privilege. You get equipped for the work of ministry. You get trained. So the Spirit of God, we know, gives all of us gifts when we become Christians, when we 
uh, become united to Christ by faith, the Spirit gives us gifts. And as we participate in the life of the church, we get to develop those gifts. We get to use those gifts. We get to lead through the use of our gifts. We get to worship with the family of God. Now, while there are attenders that certainly join us every week for worship, there is something special and specific about gathering with other members of the same family as a reminder of the joy that God has given us through this church. And last but not least, as far as participation in the life of the church, you can vote. You may not think that's a big deal, but you get to vote. We'll talk more about voting and church discipline and things like that on another Sunday, but only members have a vote when it comes to church business. So you may have a voice. You may say, well, we want to do this or we want to do that, but you get to vote. You get your voice to be heard officially with things like budgets, admitting and dismissing members, hiring pastors, and more. All of that ultimately comes down to the members. We get to decide as the family of God where we are headed by the leadership of the Spirit. There are many privileges for us. We could talk about more, but we have to move on and talk about responsibilities. Because as any member of a family we know, not only do we enjoy great privileges, but we also have responsibilities to uphold, right? You get to go downstairs or go into the kitchen and eat breakfast every morning, but you probably have to make your bed or take out the trash or some other thing. There are privileges and responsibilities. You didn't pay for that breakfast, but you're going to clean your room, right? Privileges and responsibilities. So what are responsibilities? Congregational care again. I talked about all the ways that the church served me and loved on my family in the midst of loss. I have a responsibility to do the same for you. So I'm responsible for the support of my family. It's a responsibility we all uphold. So when those of us are in need, we rally together to meet those needs. Students, you are responsible for the other members of this church. There's there's a kind of weight you ought to feel when you think about that. You are responsible for the other members in this church. You have committed through that covenant to love one another, pray for one another, minister to one another, speak in a way that builds up others and more. Another responsibility is you get to serve. The Spirit of God has given you gifts for the common good, just like we talked about earlier, which means we need you. We need you to use your gifts. We need you to serve. We need you to develop those gifts and exercise those gifts for the sake of the body. If only a fraction of the church members are serving, if only a fraction of those members are using their gifts, then the whole body is missing out on what the Spirit has given to us. We are all missing out when the members don't serve. We also have the responsibility of participation. Participation is a privilege, but it's also a responsibility. Just how like everyone in your family has responsibilities and chores to complete, so do the members of a church. So members who do not show up for corporate gatherings or small groups or other regular rhythms in the church, they deprive themselves of spiritual nourishment in the congregation and they, dis- they, de- they deprive the congregation of their gifts, their fellowship, and their insight. This, this also includes our stewardship of money, as well as our time and talents. So we have to participate. We, we have this responsibility to be the gathered body together. Last but not least on responsibilities is accountability. Accountability is just a function of the church that serves as guardrails in living, counsel in decision-making, or rebuke against error. 
So when you are caught in sin, Galatians tells us, you who are more spiritual should bring them up out of it. That's accountability. If I have done something wrong, if I have sinned, I need those around me to hold me accountable. And if somebody has sinned in my orbit that I know of, I'm responsible to hold them accountable. We'll talk more about this when we get to church discipline. For now, we ought to see that this is a responsibility that we must all uphold for the sake of each other as we follow Jesus together. All of us are going to fall short. All of us need one another to hold each other accountable as we grow in Christ's likeness together. So who makes up the church? A group of baptized believers who know one another, who get to enjoy both privileges and responsibilities. My hope is that the church would be purified in such a way that the members would be a clearly known, clearly growing community of Christians. And if we're honest, there are many reasons that are legitimate and good in the last six months as to why some people have not come back to participate in the life of the church. There are many, many reasons that are not legitimate. There are many, many who just, like we talked about a few weeks ago, their desires have been exposed. And now when the the obligation of the normal rhythm of life is taken away from them, the desire is not there. And my, my hope and prayer is that God would use this to awaken us to see the importance of the privileges and responsibilities that we have as the church. I hope that's true for you. I hope that's true for the many people who aren't in this room, who could be. That we would be living out the life of the body in a way that primes us for the Spirit of God to use us in powerful ways. Not just just individually, but in our families, in our friend groups, in our church, in our community, and around the world. So we call on those who do not yet know Jesus as Savior and Lord to repent. Remember that first thing, believe. First thing we need is to believe just like those brothers and sisters in Acts, that they would receive the forgiveness of their sins, then that they would belong, that they would come be a part of the body of Christ now and forever so that they might grow in Christ's likeness. They grow in their obedience. They might behave. They might become more like Jesus. So the question for us as I kind of wrap up and get ready to send us into some groups Are you a member? Have you committed yourself to this body? Have you said, this this is my family. This is the family of faith that God has placed me in. If not, what are you waiting for? What's keeping you from making that commitment? Is it baptism? Is it a question about privileges and responsibilities? Is it Is it confidence in your faith in Christ? All of these things are are good questions, are good conversations that we should have. Let's have them. The longer we go without investing our lives in the body of Christ, the more we're depriving ourselves of the work of the Spirit. My hope for you is that you'd see that, that we would see that together. So let me pray for us, and then we'll head to some groups. God in heaven, I am thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the pattern that we see in the New Testament, that you have given us this wonderful gift in the body of Christ, and that you've gathered together a specific people to covenant together as baptized believers to enjoy both privileges and responsibilities, to grow in their faith, to grow in holiness, to grow in obedience. Lord, I pray that that would be true of us. So God, help us as we think about membership. 
as we think about the importance of covenanting together, as we think about the, the, the great privileges that we receive, we think about the responsibilities that you've given us. God, help us to think clearly, to think biblically, to see what a treasure we have as being part of the body of Christ. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.